Welcome to another episode of Let's Have a Breakdown with me, Ali Monjack. And me, Harry Acton. And hello, Ali. I, you know, we've not spoken very much this week, and it's this is probably the first time we've spoken since Monday. So, how are you? I'm okay. Yes, it's it's been a very strange week. I think on all fronts, hasn't it? And especially, oh. you know, the fact that we've now got this three tier lockdown system. Yes, and you know, I I work in London, but I live in Hampshire. So there's there's all sorts of loopholes as well. So I'm technically a tier one. Uh, person because my local council's in tier one when i'm in london that tier one status still applies to me so yeah it's all very very confusing and i agree it's been an absolutely manic week for news not all of it good sadly not been a great week well that that's the thing and that you know we should explain this because you know there's a lot of hearsay going around that the reason why you're tier one in london is because you're going into london to work Exactly. And it's a little loophole almost. So, you know, there are there is going to be confusion and it's going to be very hard to enforce these things. So I do feel quite sorry for, for the police and the people who have to enforce these rules. But hopefully, you know, if we do stick to them, I mean, when I'm in London, I'll still, of course, follow the tier two rules because I do want to be able to go home for Christmas, which, you know, is my end goal at the moment. Try and hopefully go back to Somerset for Christmas. Not Devon, may I point out. Yes, of course. Yes, the lovely Devon stroke Somerset. Oh, God, honestly, Devon stroke Somerset. They're very different places, but that is not the subject of today's conversation. I just wanted to have a little bit of fun considering, you know, as I said, these restrictions seem to be causing quite a lot of unhappiness. I mean, for example, Manchester has been in a regional lockdown for the last three months. And then now, at the moment, as we speak in tier two, but refusing to go into tier three. And the argument for that, I think, is is very good of Andy Burnham, because he's saying he's not going to move to tier three unless the government promises to protect people's livelihoods. Because he's arguing that the latest kind of action plan from the government, if we were to put it like that, you know, only covers 66% of wages, which, you know, if you're a minimum wage... That is not a lot of money at all. So I totally get where he's coming from on this one. You know, you can't lock somewhere down unless you're going to, you know, pay for the consequences. So that is definitely one to watch. And I will say fair play to, you know, a politician standing up for the people on that one. So Well, we'll yes, there, there is that. But I mean, it's never as clear cut, is it? I mean, you know, on one hand, Apparently, he was saying that. And also, he was saying, though, if the government did give them the right sort of money, then he would quite happily walk into tier three. And love him or Mm. hate him, Michael Gove did point out that, you know, you can't do a deal over the coronavirus. Yes, Michael Gove, there you go, making, pointing out some facts there. But you know, I think it's very hard, especially when areas of the north haven't really ever come out of lockdown. You know, Leicester, for example, has been in and out for as long as we can remember now. So it's it's a tricky situation to be in. And of course, you know, tier three is the highest level of restriction. So of course, people can't meet anyone either inside or outside, outside of their household. And pubs and bars will be forced to close unless they operate as a restaurant. And, you know, there's other restrictions in certain areas, such as gym closures, hospitality closures, etc. So, it is a very tricky situation to be in. And, you know, 
there is no easy way out of this, sadly. But yeah, I feel like, you know, Manchester's going to hold off for as long as it can, but it won't be the first council or first local authority area to say no to the government. But I know you can't say no forever, can you? You can't say no forever. But, you know, this is the time that we're living in. It, it really is. I mean, there's still talks. There's no solid evidence at the moment. So we're not going to go into that, that there should be a vaccine ready by next year. Yes, that is something we're keeping an eye on. But there's nothing concrete. And, you know, there's lots of conspiracies going around about vaccines. And, you know, some of the trials, yes, have been halted, but they have resumed again. And Russia's ploughing ahead with two of their own vaccines. They're trying to license another one. So it is looking optimistic on the vaccine front. But some of the people I've spoken to in London, just casually having a chat with people, they've said they won't take the vaccine because they think it's being rushed through. So I think even if we do get one, we're going to have to change the public's mind. So, oh, I don't know, Ali. I really hope I 2021 don't know, works but, out. But, you know, this came up in conversation at a dinner party Um this week and i'm not i'm going to say now that the dinner party there was only five of us good 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 so you know keeping to to distancing and things like that but you know i think it, it it's a very difficult one isn't it because what we've got to remember although this is very unusual for a vaccine to be ready that quickly yeah ever since COVID-19 has struck the globe, every single scientist across the world has been working on a vaccine. Yes, there are billions. 24 hours a day. Yeah, and lots and lots of money going into it. We're talking billions and billions, you know, into into the COVID vaccine. So we we can hope. But, you know, going back to the, the topic at hand, which of course is the tier system, this is in place to try and you know, get things under control to a level where we can function as normally as possible. And yeah, there's countries like New Zealand, which have had much stricter kind of restrictions all the way through and are relatively fine. You know, they've had very, very low cases. But, you know, the economic impact, no matter what you do, is always going to be severe. We're always going to have a really severe economic impact. So, that, you know, there's there's this whole weighing up option between do we go into a full lockdown again to try and curb the spread of the virus through a complete circuit break, as you were, which we'll talk about more in a minute, or do we try and keep as much stuff open as possible and try and keep life as normal as possible? So you're never going to win, you know, no matter well, what, what do we you do. think? Let's just stop you there, Harry, because, you know, you can put this in um, layman's terms for people as well. I mean, what do you think from a, the the um, stories, well, the, the facts and figures that have been put around? I mean, you know, cases are now higher than they were in theory than the first wave we had. Again, we weren't testing in the population back then. So, of course, you can argue that they could have been significantly higher back in March and April. We don't know. But... All the scientists are saying, all the evidence is saying that we need to have this circuit breaker lockdown, whether it's two weeks, three weeks, whatever. All the evidence is saying we need one. And SAGE, which of course is a scientific advisory body to the government, have been saying for weeks now that we need this circuit breaker. Yeah, but they've also said that it may be too late to implement a two-week circuit breaker. Yes, and this is the other argument. But then, you know, is it better late than never? Is the other argument I'm hearing. The other argument about it is even if you do shut down for two to three weeks, you know, you might Mm. have to shut down again. You might. And there's this whole talk about rolling lockdowns. So every couple of weeks we have a a circuit break, if you were. 
but no one can really decide apart from Northern Ireland, of course, which has some of the strictest measures in the UK. You know, their pubs and restaurants are closing for four weeks with the exceptions of takeaways and deliveries, while their schools will close from tomorrow, which is Monday, um, for a two week break, one of which is half term anyway. So Northern Ireland is going further than any other part of the UK at the moment to try and stop the spread. And they've had the least amount of cases, haven't they? But yes, in numbers, but in per infection, they've got some they have the highest in the UK, you know, per 100,000. So Northern Ireland has taken a stand here because, again, don't forget, they haven't got as many resources healthcare wise. You know, England, Scotland and Wales have significantly more resources. You know, the NHS is is different in those parts of the United Kingdom. Yes, so they've had to do what they think is is right. So we shall see if that if that does pay off on that one. Well, we always have to remember, don't we, that even though that we are the United Kingdom, there's actually four countries underneath the United Kingdom that all operate on different systems. And this is also causing some controversy, isn't it, with the three-tier system? Yes, no, it is, exactly. And it's, it's all a bit, you know, if you were to live on the border, for example, between Scotland and England, you would have different restrictions depending on, kind of where you were going so you know in england you might be able to go and see family indoors but you know scotland is still working on what measures they're going to have um after their kind of stricter measures are due to be eased on october 25th so of course the central belt of scotland you know pubs have been um have been forced to close if serving alcohol indoors it's, it's been we talked about this last last podcast yes and, but the thing is you can have alcohol outside though you can you can so that again they're trying to focus on the economy and people's mental well-being at the same time as trying to stop a virus so yeah and of course wales has effectively banned people from england scotland northern ireland coming in as um from friday you know from high-risk areas you can no longer go into wales so the the union as you were is starting to drift apart because each independent devolved government is trying to do their own thing do and their own thing absolutely. you can see the argument for it you really really can but it is hard for the public at the moment. It and really there must is. have been some people that were working, say, across the border in England, um, mm. that were living across the border in England, but working in Wales. I'm sure there are cases like that. And there's probably people vice versa in Wales, because I know a lot of people that commute into Bristol live in Wales because it's a lot cheaper to live that side of the border. Yeah. So th there is a lot of confusion. But of course, the government has said, you know, we should be working from home where possible anyway now. So you could you could argue that this shouldn't impact people too much because if they can work from home, they should be. And if they can't work from home, then they have got a genuine excuse to go across the border. So it's, you know, are we going to see more of these restrictions in England is what everyone's thinking. Are we going to see, you know, what what's happened in Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales starting to come into England as well. So it's well, possibly, all a bit up in the air. Mm. It is all a bit up in the air, definitely. Um, I mean, you know, I think people are starting to think, do we see an end to this, Harry? But do you know what I do? You see an end to it? Oh, I, I love your positivity. <laughs> well, you know, I believe that positivity breeds positivity. And I think, as I said, you know, this week in, a, in another conversation, that there are scientists out there you know, working, I say, working on this 24 hours a day. Mm. like no other virus that they've ever worked on. So I think if you think about, you know, the fact that, that you've got all of these brilliant minds. Yes, I mean, but don't forget these brilliant minds, of course, are some of them are saying 
you know, they want this circuit breaker lockdown. And there are rumours were flying around that, you know, this should be done in the school holidays. So could that mean we're going to have a two week lockdown over Christmas, which, of course, Boris Johnson has said that he absolutely does not want that and that people should be able to celebrate Christmas. But Ali, it comes down to if these measures don't work, well, you know, this might have to happen. If the NHS runs out of capacity, which, you know, there are parts of the country where intensive care beds are at 90 percent, you know, they're in 90 percent, they're in use, only 10 percent are free. And it's it's all very, very on a knife edge at the moment. It well, really can go either way. it's true. But I mean, if you listen to Andy Burnham, you know, the mayor of Manchester, he said that there was only... I mean, I say only, I mean, this is not, you know, the, the way to look at it really, but, you know, something like under 70 cases in Manchester in hospital at the moment. At the moment. But then, of course, we have to look at the exponential curve of this virus. 70 cases in hospital can easily become in two weeks, 300. So the NHS as amazing as it is, of course, has had some funding issues in the last few years. It hasn't been given as much funding as, you know, some people would have liked. Of course, we had austerity, which was done for a reason to try and bring down the deficit, which was caused by the 2008 financial crisis. And, you know, compared to that, this coronavirus, what coronavirus pandemic, this, this crisis is so much worse than the financial crisis of 2008. So, you know, Nightingale yes, hospitals yeah, are it, it of- is, but, you know, also the, the, the statistics have come out that um, the coronavirus um, cases aren't as high at this time of year in places like Manchester that they were, say, in April. Yes, it's again. That, it's a tricky one, evidence. isn't it? It's a really, really tricky one, and I think next week we're going to see some big, big developments. Um, and of course, it's not helped, Ali, by the fact that NHS test and trace. I say NHS test and trace, like last time. It's important to point out this is a contractor working for the government under the brand of the NHS, Circo, uh, Cytel. Um, they've, you know, only recorded 62.6% of close contacts of people. They only reached that number of people in the week ending October 7th, which is down from 69.5% a week earlier. So it does not help, Ali, that we've got a test and trace system run That's by some companies. That's not that brilliant. But do no. you think some of it is because some people just haven't bothered to sign up? I mean, test and trace isn't overly optional. The app is, but when you test positive for coronavirus, you are contacted by a tracing a tracing agent, as you as you would put it, mm. who will then ask for the details of people you've come into contact with. The problem is, even if you get through to that person who's tested positive, and there are examples of people that have tested positive that they just can't get a hold of, which is bonkers. Um, and then they've got to try and track down their friends and tell them to isolate. And of course, it is now a legal requirement to isolate if you're told to by test and trace. But if you can't get through to them in the first place, then, you know, we're not going to go anywhere. And, you know, and the app has only sent out a handful of isolation warnings to people that, in you know, in recent days. So but it's all The other bit. argument, again, Harry, with this is that there are some people, families that are on low incomes who are afraid to self-isolate Mm. No, there absolutely are. And even though the government's pledged to pay them around the sum of £500 a week to isolate, you have to be on universal credit and you have to be on certain certain incomes to achieve to, to get this payment. And there's yes. a lot of people out there who are on minimum wage who aren't claiming universal, universal credit, so they wouldn't no. be eligible. So, you know, the government almost needs to look at the way it's, if it's going to pay people to isolate, the, the way to access this money, because there's a lot of people out there who aren't on credit universal credit who won't be eligible but who would desperately need that 500 pounds so it you know there's a lot of 
ways to look at this at the moment, but it, it wouldn't surprise me as when this is all over, we have a review into how the government handled this. And I struggle to see any positives, to be honest. We've done the best we can, but, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Hindsight so- is a wonderful thing. But, you know, mm. we are caught between people's mental health and physical health as well. Yes, no, we absolutely are. And, and mental health. So we, we we marked Mental Health Awareness Day last week, didn't we? Um, we in certainly the podcast. did, Harry, in our and good old way of chatting. In our good old way of chatting, which again, talking about things helps. You know, the scientists are saying that this is why a circuit break lockdown would work. If we make it time limited, like they have in Northern Ireland, then it won't impact on people's mental health as badly as the first one because we see a light at the end of the tunnel. So, you know, next week we could see a, a swathe of developments. But positives for a second, Ali, is that, you know, from up from last week, 32.6% of people who were tested for COVID got their result back within 24 hours, up from 27% the previous week. So there's a small improvement in testing. And of course, local councils have smashed it yet again, with over 97% of their contact tracers reaching out to people who they needed to contact. So there are some positives here. There really well, are. Well, there positives. are some positives here, but there's also some other controversy going around about, you know, are these tests accurate? There's always going to be that controversy and no test is 100% accurate. And, you know, is it better to have a false positive and a false negative? I would say so. Gosh, Harry, it's certainly going to sound like Donald Trump. Well, well, I mean, I'd rather have a result saying I was positive and not have the virus then a result saying I was negative and have the virus and go and see someone who's vulnerable. So luckily, you know, the the false false negatives aren't as high as false positives, I think, for the last stats I read. So there are new tests coming, in theory. There are, um, which are supposed to be really reliable, really accurate, and they're only supposed to take 15 minutes. So we shall see if we do get them in coming weeks. Apparently the government has yeah, ordered millions of them. Yeah, 15 minutes, that, that, that will be so quite something. I mean, the shortest has been half an hour, hasn't it? Yes, there's all sorts going around. So anyway, fingers crossed that, you know, we have some more clarity next week. But how oh, what a lovely way to start our breakdown, Ali. Literally a breakdown yeah, of the country. Yeah, no, literally a breakdown. You know, we're all in it together, though. And that's what people have got to remember. Um, yes, you we know, are. We, we really are. The, you know, we're, we're doing our best here. And it is, as you said, it is just best to keep talking about it. Um, mm. And hopefully we'll, we'll come out the other end. Um, there has been some so. controversy in the papers about Health Sec- Secretary Matt Hancock being in a bar later than 10 o'clock in Parliament. Yes, and Parliament's response was to just shut the bars entirely to stop them serving alcohol. So, oh yeah, it's all been kicking off. And as people are saying, one rule for them, one rule for us. So again, it's all a little bit tense in certain areas of the country and people you know, they don't like hypocrisy, so politicians need to tread very carefully in the next few weeks. Let's put it that way. But, you know, also, Harry, let's cut them some flack here. Let's cut them some flack because, you know, they they really are in probably one of the worst jobs going at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, there are some governments around the world, <clears throat> New Zealand, which are doing a much better job than than others. So And good news, back. isn't it? I mean, I think everybody wholeheartedly, well, most people can agree that, you know, everybody was pleased to see that Jacinda Ardern had been re-elected in New Zealand with an overwhelming majority. Yes, this is some good news. Let's talk about this. Jacinda, she absolutely smashed it in the in the polls. You know, she she led New Zealand through one of the worst crises it's ever seen. And, you know, she's come out the other side out of an election with, you know, a massive majority, four times more than what she needed. I read on um, 
in the papers. And, you know, she's been hailed around the world with Boris Johnson saying that he looked forward to working with her on climate issues. And Yeah, you know, as well Sid- as Justin Trudeau and the Dalai Lama as well. Yeah, and Sadiq Khan from London. They're all complimenting, you know, her outlook on the on the future. And it'd be great if we had more people like her. Do you know what? She country. just radiates, I don't know, just glows, doesn't she really? I mean, I, you know, I think she's an amazing person that mm. she's just appears to be so in touch with her country. Um, yes, yes. And, you know, she's had a tough time. You know, this is, she's facing one of the toughest leadership terms in modern histories, according to political experts in New Zealand. And even though she's, you know, the tourism industry, construction and horticulture have taken significant knocks because of COVID and, you know, poverty and benefit numbers are on the rise in New Zealand, as they are in almost every country in the world. She has pledged, you know, to build more state housing, to invest in the future of New Zealanders. And it was a really nice, positive message. And I really hope it works out for them. I think we need something positive like that in the world. We to do, say the least. definitely. Mm. I think we're both Jacinda fans. Are we going to get T-shirts, Harry? I think we should. It's very hard to stay impartial when it's Jacinda. I really, you know, I struggle because she's so brilliant. So no, Jacinda, absolutely. please come and sort the UK out. That'd be great. Yes, well, you know, uh, across the pond, the presidential election is less than a month away now and Democratic nominee Joe Biden pushed ahead of US President Donald Trump in the battleground sunshine state of Florida. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the polls, I'm not going to trust the polls after what happened in 2016. Mm. You know, the polls were so positive for Hillary Clinton and then she lost. So we... I don't think we can trust the polls at the moment. Um, Biden is leading in almost every poll in the United States. You know, he's polling better in certain demographics than than Hillary was back in 2016. And Trump seems to have lost ground in almost every poll. He has. Now, do you think it's to do with the handling of the coronavirus? Potentially. And I think a lot of people are almost too proud i think there's a lot of people who will vote trump that are too proud to say they're going to so just going off on a tangent for a second you know he might have handled the coronavirus you know the way he did it the america's had some of the highest deaths in the world the highest infection rates again it is a big country of course to put it into perspective but i think there's a lot of people who still want trump because they believe in his nationalist vision and they won't say they're going to vote for him but they will because they're or you know there's a lot of Donald Trump is loved and hated, isn't he? So there's probably a lot of people who have friends who are very strong Democratic voters who are going to secretly vote for Trump. So I think it's it's too hard to call, even though he handled the situation the way he did. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised, Ali. Let's put it that way. I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm in a bit of a negative mood today, as we've as we've established. So we'll oh, see. Harry, what's the matter? You're just tired. I'm just tired of it all. Really, 2020. I'm just like ready for Christmas if it happens. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. It is going to happen. I mean, yes, it, I can understand that. It, it's, you know, we work in news as well. It, it's you know, when you mm. work in news, there's lots of stories that, well, things going on that, that could sort of get you down. I mean, in, in the midst of all of this coronavirus is Brexit has just been lost, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, if let's, let's talk more politics. Sorry for everyone listening. It's very politics heavy this week. But yeah, Brexit. I mean, Boris put out a statement this week saying, you know, unless Brussels starts bringing concessions to the table, we're effectively going to leave with the Australia style deal, which to to break that down for everyone is 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 not a deal. It's it's on World Trade Organization terms it's with trade. tariffs. Hmm. It's 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 not 
a deal we really want with the European Union. No one's wanted that deal, but it's looking, you know, minute by minute that we're going to be going that way at the end of the year. So that was a massive development. That was, was a massive development. And also, um, you know, he said to Michel Barnier that uh, the ball in, is in his court as to where negotiations resume in the coming days and that he was going for no deal. However... Ursula van der Leyen, who's the the president of the EU Commission, is apparently still on her way on a Eurostar for meetings this week. Yes, she is. And I don't know how that's going to go. But, you know, there's some significant battlegrounds in the the trade deal at the moment, which, of course, is fishing. We seem to have got very patriotic over fishing. I understand why. Um, But there's a lot of disagreement about the the agreement fishermen are going to have, French fishermen, English fishermen, you know, where they can fish. That seems to be the sticking point at the moment. The more reading you do, it seems that we can't get over that. And as as it's been termed, it's the fight for fish, which is just a bit bonkers, really. But that's where we're at at the moment. A very dear person who used to be an MP, Richard Benyon. He used to be the environment minister for DEFRA. And he actually has been, you know, part of the negotiations. He he was a Remainer as well when he was still in um, Parliament. And he very famously voted against the deal for Brexit. Um, yes, yes. But he he always said to me that it it's a very complicated deal and the EU will push with fisheries as well. Right mm. down to the bone, right down to the, you know, the end. They will keep pushing because actually people don't realise probably if you're not involved in that sort of trade, how important fisheries are. No, I, I, you know, I, I don't fully understand how important they are. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to talk too much on it, but it is, it, we're in a very tricky situation because... These trade talks, they need to they need to intensify. We need to get somewhere with Europe. But, you know, the, the British government is effectively saying, unless they come with concessions, we're not going to go anywhere. So, again, next week, Ali, it could all kick off and we could be doing this again, same time next week, going, wow, what a week that was. Um, well, what so, a week that yeah. was. But just to sort of, you know, round off the, the chat about Brexit and COVID and everything else, uh, at least the children that are taking... GCSEs and A-levels have been given three weeks more. Just three weeks, you know, three weeks to prepare for their exams. And at this rate, we're going to be going back to virtual teaching if cases keep rising the way they are. I mean, of course, the government said it wants to keep education open, which is definitely needed. But three weeks, is that really going to be enough for students? I feel like a lot of them, a lot of them will want more time because they lost out on months of teaching. So... It, honestly, it's a great move from the government. I totally appreciate why they've done it, but is it going to be enough? I mean, you've got you've got a, a child taking A levels, haven't you, Ali? I mean, what what do they think? Well, they think um, that you know it's something, but I think it's a little too little, a little too late. Yes, but I do feel for students. I really do. And I feel we could end up in a similar situation to to this year with exam results next year. I feel like there's going to be a lot of controversy. And will students want to go to university next year if the virus is still around? I mean, look at the experiences students this year have had. So I think Always education... look on the bright side of life. Doo-doo. 
Sorry, I went mad there. Look at us go. Should we talk? Should we let's 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 move away from politics? You know, I think we've done how long have we been chatting for now? Nearly nearly half an hour of politics. I do apologize for our listeners. I hope we broke that down for you because so much has happened this week. Yeah, so much and, has happened. And it's just to simplify it as well, because it, yeah. it it can be a bit of a minefield for anybody, even really those can. that are journalists. So Absolutely. Anyway, Shall we talk? Shall we about talk tech? Turning on the 5G network? Yeah, I mean, EE, of course, which is supposedly, I'm going to say supposedly, they're saying they're the leader in 5G in the UK, has now got 5G available in 112 locations around the UK, um, which is quite exciting when you think about it. Because, of course, um, this week we also had Apple launch their new 5G iPhone. Yes. And 5G is becoming much more mainstream. So for British consumers, yes. this is going to be a good thing. And, and it's important to note, to be impartial, that three Vodafone No 2 are all working hard on their networks as well. So... Like 4G, EE is in the lead currently, but the other networks are catching up. But there's also the argument that, Ali, there's places without a 4G signal and even a 3G signal around the UK. So well, 5G is not going to help them. Mm. This is very true. Um, and I think it's really productive as well because, you know, just briefly touching on the, on the thing that, you know, has been predominant in everybody's lives, um, I, there was a conspiracy theory going around, wasn't there, about 5G being potentially you know, able to give you the coronavirus. I mean, goodness knows where that came from, really. Exactly. I mean, if that's the case and your microwave can give you coronavirus, you know, it's, it's all radio waves. And 4G is, is proven to be safe. So is 3G and so is 5G. They've all been cleared Absolutely. to be safe. They're, they're, they're on, you know, they're on the right channels that there's not there's no detrimental effects that we know of at the moment. Of course, I'm not going to say 100% for sure because I'm not a scientist, but every single study that has been done around the world has proven that 5G is safe. And you know, there were situations back in May where cell towers were being burnt down. Birmingham, for example, had several of its towers torched because of these conspiracy theories. And, mm. you know, 5G is something we need because it's it's a new level of connectivity for the UK. And, you know, we've all been frustrated when our broadband goes down, but the mobile network stays up. Absolutely. You know? Well, do you know what? I live in the, the home of Vodafone. You do, don't you? Yeah, I do live in the home of Vodafone. The blessed and lands where you they, get perfect signal, rumour has it. Absolutely. And West Berkshire was one of the first areas that um, Vodafone rolled out a pilot test scheme of 5G. Yes. So tell you what, Harry, we had 5G almost a year ago. Do you know, where, do you know near me where has 5G? Randomly, Hedge End. Of all places, Hedge End has 5G near me. How weird. And I know how weird. I mean, it's 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 hard to roll 5G out because it doesn't travel very far as a signal and it will be really exciting, but it's going to be a few years yet before it becomes mainstream. But it was just, we just thought we'd bring up that positive moment, didn't we, Ali? As the UK plows ahead without Huawei. Huawei. Its network. Yeah. Huawei, because Nokia have got most of the contracts now in the UK. So good old Nokia are back in, back in the UK networks. They never really left, but let's just say they have now they're now dominating the networks well so. yes and yeah. and this is something else that you know we've um i've been discussing this week on the 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 socializing front is that you know a lot of there's been a lot of bad press for the chinese and it's not their fault people that you know this um virus came from wuhan and right. i think you know that we just need to respect whatever race anybody is Absolutely. And, you know, it does not help in a, in a world that is suffering at the moment. It does not help to try and single out one race, one country 
we all need to be working together. And it does frustrate me sometimes when you've got people such as Donald Trump calling China out for things. And you know what? There could be some scientific evidence that says there's the back door into the UK network. But the thing is, this is a consumer network. What are you doing that you don't want the Chinese to see? I understand for confidential government, you know, memos, etc. Totally understand that. But as a British consumer, I'm not particularly worried about the Chinese seeing my browsing history. So that's just my opinion. No, or turning our screens black either, Harry. Honestly, it's just the conspiracy theories fly around. No, 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 that's not a conspiracy theory. That can actually happen. They they realise the tech that that could actually happen. Don't think it is going Mm. to happen, but um, yes. So there you go. Moving Mm. on. Anyway, you have had quite a fun week this week, haven't you? I have. I have. I got the the rare opportunity to interview Joanna Lumley this week. And let's just say I texted you in full capitals going, Ali, guess what I've just done? And um, I was very excited. Yeah, I got to speak to Joanna Lumley, who has um, been involved in the recording of an audiobook for kids called Five Minute Really True Stories for Bedtime. And having listened to this book, it's absolutely amazing. And yeah, I honestly am overwhelmed. It, it's such an amazing thing. I mean, you know, we've gone. I've gone starstruck again, Ali. Take it away for a second. I'm just thinking back to that interview. I've gone starstruck. Oh, bless you! Wow. No, she is a lovely lady, and and I I think I missed her by five minutes because she's a, a great advocate for the um, Gurkha Society as well. So, um, so there's true stories um, about that she's created to help children sleep and also to answer questions as why do we sleep to animals dream where is the oldest bed in the world that that's always a fun one with kids Mm. i would think and it it is the perfect brainy bedtime apparently companion for young children the book has been developed by author sally symes containing original writing from leading children's authors sally symes rachel valentine Jackie McCann and Jen Arena. Um, yeah, and it's the best thing about this as well that a lot of this evidence has come from Britannica Books. And yes. they've actually released their first encyclopedia for children in a generation. That also came out this month. So some really positive things have happened during lockdown. And of course, Joanna Lumley reading an audiobook for kids because all of her filming was cancelled. You know, she did it because she wanted to help out during during and these difficult got times. One of those amazing voices, hasn't she? She really does. Honestly, I just she's got the most amazing voice. And I just think it's such a lovely thing for her to do. And, you know, she I grew up to watching stuff like Absolutely Fabulous, which, of course, is on BBC. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I just, she's such an amazing actress and such an amazing reader. And, of course, she actually said that she could not think of a better way to make a personal contribution in these difficult times. And when I spoke to her, she was so genuine about it. And she was telling me about, you know, how much fun she had and how she she learned a lot. And she felt a little younger and a little wiser from from participating so it was it was really lovely actually and what we have got Ali is we've got a clip from from the publisher's YouTube uh, channel believe it or not that we can play out just about of Joanna talking about it so let's let's give that a listen because it is just wonderful let's play that one now I'm Joanna Lumley and tonight I should be reading a five minute really true story for bedtime hammocks were a wonderful invention comfortable easy to hang and they protected the mire from snakes and biting ants on the ground. Around 1590, sailors started using hammocks on ships. It was an excellent way to fit a lot of sailors into a small space. And the sailors must have been pleased. It's much better to be rocked above the waves 
than to sleep on a wet, hard ship deck. I just, yeah, Joanna, I just, I have no words. She's absolutely lovely. And I I felt so privileged to interview her. And it was, it was unreal. It was unreal. And of it course. It was, yeah, yeah and, definitely. And the publisher, Christopher Lloyd, who, who was talking about these 30 stories, who I've actually met in person in London this week as well. He he popped up to say hello. I had a chat with him about this book. It was a lovely week for me. I was very excited. Um, you know, he said that Joanna's wonderful voice and personality calms, soothes and fills the minds of younger people with wonder and awe about the world of nighttime. It's not just younger people who love them. As Joanna herself said, she's learned all kinds of things that she didn't know too. So uh, honestly, it's out now. You can get the book. You know, it's not the cheapest book in the world, but having seen a copy of it, it's absolutely incredibly done. And I think it's worth every penny. And I'm not trying to go all PR here, but... No, you're not going PR here. You've just gone just, soft, Harry. I've gone really soft. I've just gone all fanboy. Bless but... you. You've gone all mushy. I've gone all mushy, but if you do get an opportunity to listen to the audiobooks or read a copy of the book, you can you can find it all online. You know, just yeah, I'm not going to give you any more information than that because that would get too pre. But yeah, no, honestly. absolutely. I'm. Do you know what? I'm just you know amazed by the fact that the Britannica encyclopedia is back because I'm one of those children that grew up in the 70s and that you know we didn't have the internet in those days so that was my source of information about the outside world was the Britannica encyclopedias. Absolutely and it's so important in a world where we have information at our fingertips that you know often isn't verified going back to a podcast we did a few weeks ago about you know only one percent of people fact checking what they read online which still grinds my gears may I add this is such an important thing, you know, for kids to be able to read because we know it's trusted information. It's been worked on by lots and lots of people to provide true information that is not only accurate, but fun. So I think it'd be the perfect Christmas gift, to be honest with you, to go all this morning oh, on you Harry. for a second. But yeah. It's... I know what to get you now. Oh, I've, I've, yeah, what can I say? What can I say? But well, you've got a birthday yeah. coming up first. I have got a birthday coming up. Absolutely, I'll be a, I'll be a year older next week when we do our next podcast. Don't scary. Don't even go there. Scary, absolutely. Scary. Yeah, I know. Around Halloween as well. Spooky. But yeah, honestly, I, I, we just had to put a story in. I just had to make sure we talked about it because it's Joanna Lumley. You just can't not. All right, stop there, Harry. I think. Stop there. Not. Take it away, Ali. Goodness, Take it away goodness. from me before I. Before... Well, Strictly, Strictly Come Dancing is back for all of those lovers who like to see um, dancing on the dance floor. And this year, for the first time ever, apart from the the different COVID restrictions that we're all having to live under, we've got the same sex couple. So that's. Boxer Nicola Adams and Katia Jones, who's been part of the Strictly team for some time. Yeah, and it's important to note this is the first ever same-sex couple to ever appear on Strictly, um, and it's you know it just it's a sign of the times, isn't it? The BBC is is a very progressive organisation with very progressive people, so you know it's a good thing to see in this day and age. You know we need to cherish these moments as as the mainstream media, as some people call it, is you know really starting to show show things like this and strictly such a iconic show so it's a really big deal actually really big deal it which is, is a lovely big to deal see. definitely and and why not you know i mean it, it's um i think it, it's to be praised and recognized and it's, it's a great thing for the lbgtq community as well definitely no absolutely and I, i'm just really glad we brought that up because yeah it's it's such a wonderful thing to cherish and i'm sure there's a lot of people out there who saw it because of course it was all kept hush hush this time last week we were talking about it coming back but we didn't have that many details you know and now 
it's back and it's all exciting. So it is yeah. exciting. I mean, there's eleven couples this year, and obviously they're having to be socially distanced. Mm-hmm. Um, only three of the judges are back. Bruno is um, is present, but virtual. Um, and yes, I mean, there's quite a good lineup, I and mean, we've got Bill Bailey, comedian Bill Bailey. Um, with Oti Mabusi, who won last year, Oti. Um, oh. Yeah, there's there's quite a good good lineup of people actually. So I mean, we've got radio presenter from BBC Radio One, Clara Amfo, with Ali Ash, and who else have we got? We've got Ramdeep you know Singh with Giovanni. <laughs> but, do you know what? That is the only coupling I knew of because, of course, Ranveer is quite a famous journalist. So, hmm. yeah, it's you know it's great to see, as I said last week, television coming back. You know, COVID safe. We've got all sorts of shows returning. I mean, BBC and ITV have really pulled out all the stops this year to try and get us back to normal as possible. And I do think it's worth mentioning now that, of course, the BBC is funded by the taxpayer. I don't think we'd have got through COVID without the BBC putting out content left, right and centre. So for anyone, you know, questioning their TV licence over things, just look at what the BBC's done the last few months. And this is just another step in the right direction for a news organisation that is unrivaled in the world. Please, someone try and change your mind on that, because I don't think it can be rivaled. Just incredible. Right. Just someone tangent so there. do you have a TV licence then, Harry? I do have a TV license. Absolutely. I pay my TV license. You know, I consume BBC content as well as all my my satellite channels. Of course, I have. Um, Yeah, I couldn't live without my TV license. I think it's very important to support an organization that produces so much content. And it's it's more than news. The BBC is not just a news channel, which people seem to forget. It is. It does so much more in the UK and globally. And I'm happy to pay my TV license. More than happy to. To support them. I mean, what people don't realise as well is that, well, some people do, people like us realise all too well, that they are actually going through the struggles of their own. I mean, they've had to cut loads of staff, haven't they? Yes, it's it's a really hard time, you know, the, especially with the the free TV licence responsibility going on to the BBC itself, which we're talking hundreds of millions of pounds is, is being cut from BBC budgets. So, And, you know, don't forget BBC World, which is a channel that broadcasts globally, provides insight to billions of people and i can use billions because it is billions of people so the bbc is a very important institution not just in the uk but globally and yes you're paying for it per year through your tv license and it may seem outdated and a bit rubbish but mm-hmm. you're paying for a lot more than what you think you are so yeah bit another little little mini breakdown there as i got very passionate yes, about yeah, you got very passionate about the bbc it's, it's, it's very worrying harry are you feeling all right i mean i don't work for the bbc so i can be passionate it's not like i'm being biased <laughs> yeah. i don't work for them but um yeah yeah i just think it's important to raise awareness of these things sometimes especially as conspiracy theories seem to be flying around the internet more and more so yeah just wanted to get that out there definitely Have my little breakdown of the my, day my, li- my little my harry the uh little fact checker over there I know, right? Not like the Conservative Party when they renamed their Twitter handle to Fact Check UK during one of the debates last year. <laughs> just bring that up really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I need to shut up now. Maybe I it's time that we do, started wrapping Harry. up. I think, you know, look, I, I think I preferred the, you know, dreamy, loved Joanna up Lumley, Joanna Harry. Lumley, Harry, actually. Harry having a breakdown over Joanna Lumley. Honestly, <laughs> I'll, I'll remember that to the day I die. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that, That kind of comes to a conclusion, not the way we're expecting it to, this week's breakdown, which is a little bit shorter than the last few because we're trying to make it snappy. Snappy. 
Snappy, snappy. Absolutely, so. snappy, snappy. And mm. um, as I said, always look on the bright side of life. So Absolutely. if you do have any stories for us, do get in touch. We'd love to hear your stories. Perhaps there's something that you would like to raise um, yeah. as far as news is concerned. I mean, we just try to bring you, you know, some general news across the world um, so that, you know, you're you're staying in touch. But perhaps there's something that has you know, not, not particularly under the radar. Yeah. I think honestly, if you think you've got something that you want us to talk about, or you feel that the media is not covering and you feel that you're not represented, you know, let us know because we're both journalists. We, we do more than this podcast. So get in touch and you never know what will happen. And of course you can find our news website, which of course is news.forthenow.co.uk. And of course Sorry, you can Harry. email us. Shh, shh, shh. News.forthenow. .co.uk <coughs> Sainsbury's um, yeah <laughs> Sainsbury's um, no yeah honestly news site you can email us as well breakdown for the now.co.uk it said we are we love hearing from people and you know interact with us as well on our socials breakdown with us is our handle we're on TikTok it's mainly just me at the moment messing around with the green screen but if you want to laugh we're on TikTok as well now so yeah all good fun it is all good fun and speaking of fun, Ali, I think I'm going to go have a nice large glass of gin. So maybe it's the perfect way to wrap up the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, you do that then, Harry. Definitely. Yes. And, you know, we will be back next week. I'm sure it will be an action-packed week. So, yeah. We'll, I'm doing, we'll, you know. I'm doing Sunday roast, I have to say. You're doing so you need to get off and do your Sunday race. That's fine. Anyway, for anyone listening, I'm sure you're all you're all listening through to the end. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. So take care and bye-bye. Bye. Bye.